Morning. Uh, my name is Tony LaRose. And if you guys could please stand for the reading of today's scripture, we will be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, the younger one who said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set out for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. There he had spent everything. There was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating but no one gave him anything. When he had come to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to his father, or said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he asked his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we begin a new series that's going to take us through the semester, and by that I mean right up to Advent. And... uh, You can see from the screen, the title of the overall series is called Adjusting Our Focus. When I was a kid growing up, my father, who was really quite a good artist and certainly a perfectionist, um, he was given by someone an old German-made camera. Now, this German-made camera had no auto anything on it. He adjusted the lens, the f-stop, everything. 
And when we were doing something or we were on vacation, he'd get us to all line up. He was never in our pictures, by the way, because he was always taking them. No such thing as a selfie or a stand. And, and he would turn it this way and that way, and he'd look at the light, and he'd turn it. And all of us were like, Dad, come on, just take the picture. But he, he had to have it right. And a big part of getting it right was the focus. He wanted the subjects, which were us, to have the perfect depth of field in the surrounding. And I got to tell you, his pictures were spectacular. He was just one of those kind of guys. Because he always got the precise focus and lighting for the picture. When it comes to us, there's lots of things swirling around us. There's many voices. There's many directions we could take on any number of issues. But what I want to suggest is that since we're created and designed by God, we need to make our focus on Him and His ways crisp and clear. And allow the background, as beautiful as it may be, to come into accurate focus with the subject, which is us. I want to introduce you to a young man. He's not here this morning, but he was a young man that grew up with a devout Christian mother and a father who was not Christian at all, probably more agnostic than anything else. He was born of African descent, and he was very ambitious. He was a seeker of pleasure and truth at the same time, trying to extract out of pleasure every sense of meaning he could find, and pursuing truth relentlessly through philosophy and all the ideas that were out there. He exceeded at the university level, was an excellent student known by his teachers and his friends. And eventually he landed a job as a speechwriter in Washington, D.C. for a very famous politician. He'd achieved success according to his chosen trajectory in life. But he was unsatisfied with his quest for truth and meaning. He felt restless. And eventually, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ and became an influential thinker who, in large part, changed the trajectory of human history. Most of the story I just told is true with just a few exceptions. The major one is that this young man never was a speechwriter for a famous politician in Washington, D.C. 
Instead, he became a rhetorician, a person who was a master with words, and a person who in the imperial court in one part of the Roman Empire was hired to do things like speak eloquently and write speeches for politicians. He was uh, named Aurelius, his first name. Most of us know of him as St. Augustine. And he tells his story in the famous book called The Confessions. Among other things, in that book, Augustine makes a parallel between his life and the parable of the prodigal son. As a matter of fact, to understand the confessions, that's probably the best template. You know the story of the prodigal son. We read about it just this morning. We have an individual in that story, the key figure in the story, who knows what he is made for. He also knows that his father loves him. But he has different ideas for his future. As a matter of fact, he rejects his father altogether, which is a really high-handed insult, especially in that culture, to say, give me my inheritance now. It's about like saying, I wish you were dead. And he takes his inheritance, and he, he does life. He does life his own way. He blows it all on things that are inappropriate and not good investments of his time or his emotions, and he ends up feeding pigs. Now, according to this parable, this is a a Jewish boy. There could be nothing worse than getting a job feeding pigs. It's an illustration that he had fallen to the lowest point in Jesus' parable. He ends up with the pigs, but he realizes in that, that moment of distress, I was made for something better. I'm foolish. The only way for me to change this trajectory in my life is to go back to my father and to repent. You know, the rest of the story, the father opens him with welcomed arms and kisses him and throws him a huge party and puts a ring on his finger. But you also know the other part of the story, the smaller part. The older brother pouts because the younger brother has been shown mercy. I've been faithful, he says. And you never gave me a party. He was unfaithful, and now you celebrate him. This story could be about a lot of things. But I want to suggest it's about at least two people groups. One is those who believe. 
Those who know their father, namely in the story of God. Those who are fully aware that their father loves them deeply. Those who also understand that they were made by the father. Crafted in his image for a particular purpose. And these people who believe in that father also believe that that father has their best interests in mind. He's designed them and he knows what is best and they know in order to achieve the most deep meaning in life, they should follow the father. I, I, would, I would imagine that that's most of your stories. You get it. You know your father. You're convinced he loves you. You know his way is best. But at the same time, like me, with all that knowledge, you're still a rebel. I can remember being that radical rebel when I was young. But you know what? I don't want to suggest that I'm no longer a rebel. Why? Because lurking within me is this insatiable desire to do it my way. And routinely, I push the father aside and say, no, I want this. Thanks be to God, I come to my senses. And like the younger son, I return, except again and again, to say, Father, I'm sorry. I would imagine that in a group this size, there's also people who might identify, you probably don't want to say it out loud, with the older brother. You've done all the right things. You um, have never broken the rules. And you have a feeling of entitled legalism. You think those others ought to be punished, but they shouldn't be celebrated for sure. You think if anybody should be celebrated, it's the righteous like you. You know, if we're honest, we've actually been both. We've been the rebel and the entitled legalist. So, this story is about us, and we can learn from it. But perhaps, unlike some interpreters, I'm going to suggest this story is about others who do not believe. I mean, people who don't believe in God at all. But here's the reality, you see. No matter whether you believe in God or not, and you have friends and neighbors that are in that category, no matter whether you believe or not, 
No matter whether you think God knows you and has your best interest in mind, you're wrong. There's a sense in which your unbelief does not affect the truth. You were created by God. You are loved by God. And he has a pattern for your life. I I wish over the next few weeks, somewhere along the way, a person like that would wake up and understand who their father is and come to him. Perhaps that person, perhaps you, you know, you've gotten to the place that you know it, you see it, but you haven't yet surrendered your life to God. Maybe you heard about the Father, but it seems too good to be true. Maybe you're wondering how this God who is way out there and eternal could actually be a God who cares about this stuff down here. In particular, cares about you. And as you have been in a quest for meaning in life, you've realized there's so many alternatives out there. Just like Augustine, you've chased after many of them trying to find your own way. And at some point, I hope, if not now, in the future, you will get overwhelmed by confusion and disappointment. Because the confusion and the disappointment can bring you to God. I hope that if you have not come to the Father, somewhere along the way you'll stop and surrender. And I hope for those of you who know the Father, you'll remind yourself that you need to return to God's design for your life over and over again because there's competing voices concerning the deep meaning of life. So this is a sermon about upcoming sermons. Don't think I've ever done it that way before. I'm not going to launch into the rest of what we'll talk about. I I just want to stir your curiosity and invite you in. This series is about adjusting our perspective on life for believers and unbelievers alike. Because deep within us, we want to go our own way. Sometimes we know what's best, but we just can't seem to do it. Other times we're just confused by the many well-intended voices in our culture. So here's the foundation of the series. It's very simple. Three things. One, I don't care who you are. You are known and loved by God. Please take that as a starting point. Number two, God has designed you. And he's designed you in a certain way 
because he has plans for you and he knows you best. So let's find out what that design is. And third, finding God's design, the image of God within you, finding God's design is a lifelong process and it's worth it. It's worth it. I want to end with a musical illustration. And I'm a little nervous about this, I got to tell you. Because I'm going to sing just a little bit. <clears throat> Thanks for your support. Got to go. Got to get it just right. It has to do with uh, the beat in music. It has to do with timing. There's a thing called 4-4 time. There's a thing called 3-4 time. There's a thing called 6-8 time. Don't ask me to demonstrate that. But um, I've done enough music to be able to feel the beat. I know the downbeat. It's, it's just there. It's way deep inside me. I can hear it. Nobody needs to tell me it's three, four, four, four. I get it. Some of my really good friends don't get it. So one of them is Dan. <laughs> hey, last week he called me Uncle Bob, okay? I said... Dan does not get the downbeat, okay? And when I'm sitting close to him and Adam invites us to clap or Marietta, you know what I do? I clap off time to see if Dan will follow me because he can't hear it. And he actually does it sometimes. I'm not kidding you. I used to do this with John Mangrum, who was also, in terms of syncopation, really challenged. Um, But let, let me demonstrate what I'm talking about, okay? Here's a song that you all know and love. It's called Crown Him With Many Crowns. And it's in 4-4 time, at least in our hymnal, right? It goes, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. You feel the downbeat because I'm emphasizing it? Here's another song that you love very well. But it's in 3-4 time. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Feel the downbeat? If you don't feel it, that's okay. (laughs) If you do feel it, you know this feeling. The feeling of trying to keep 3-4 in a 4-4 song. Crown him with many crowns. Where am I, lamb, upon his... It doesn't work. (laughs) It doesn't work. You know, one of our favorite services of the year, I think probably it is our favorite service of the year, is Good Friday. People just love our Good Friday service. And if you haven't been there, you've missed it. I'm telling you, you've missed it. You need to come this year. 
In our Good Friday service, it's all about liturgy and music. And every now and again, there's a good homily in there, but not always. But there's uh, one particular part of Good Friday that has emerged as most people's favorite. It's when the men's chorus sings, And Can It Be? Remember that, for those of you who've been here before? Now, 4-4 four, four time and 3-4 time is pretty simple. But you know what's not simple? It's figuring out a way to interpret that music, to step in not only to the rhythm, but the nuances and the interpretation of the song. And when we get up here, it's one of my favorite things to do, and sing in the men's chorus, and can it be, what you don't know is that behind the scenes, before you ever arrived, we had somebody telling us how to do it. Dr. Horn. And I'm telling you, sometimes it's just hilarious. He's pointing to enunciation. Other times, he's talking about breathing at the right time and holding your breath longer. And if you can't make it to the end of that note, just take a quick breath and hold it again. He's talking about holding a note. He's talking about coming in at just the right time. He's talking about mezzo and forte and crescendo. So when we're up here rehearsing, he's up here waving his arms and doing this, and all of a sudden he goes, stop. And then he raises his hand and he says, tenors, tenors, I need more tenor. Now, if you haven't been in this, you don't know what I'm talking about. It's true, okay? That, that's the, what he does. Bases, I need you to come in here. And we're all like, okay, okay, okay. I can't even read the blessed music, much less come in at the right time, right? <laughs> but somehow he pulls us together and, and we make this chorus of men interpret and can it be with amazing beauty. And you know why we do? Well, first, because we have a conductor. But second, because we acknowledge the composer and we step into the music. We don't challenge it. We step into it. So my hope is that in this series, as we adjust our focus on the design God has for our life, let's, 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 let's learn the rhythm of God's grace. Let's refocus every Sunday on the way in which God has designed us. And third, let's enter 
into the music of that divine composer and find joy and peace in a symphony that was made by God. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that um, we're not alone. I thank you that you didn't say, hey, glad to see you, figure it out. You didn't tell us to make our own way to figure out meaning. What you said to us as our loving creator is I love you and I know you and I have a design for you. And then God, you invite us into that design. You ask us to participate in the music that you have composed. And we admit, Lord, we often get off beat. Sometimes we get so frustrated we run away. But like the father in the parable, it seems like you just keep watching for us to come back. So may your love overwhelm us and your wisdom surround us. And may we learn to walk with you. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.